situation we're right now, uh, which we're going through as a, as a nation through this very, very tiring and, and, and painful process of digesting the uh, the killing of, of George Floyd and the many other injustices before before he has. And you said, well, what does that have to do with universities we were discussing earlier? We're, a lot. I mean, it highlights our mission, our values, our commitments to uh, uh, to to equity and access, and 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 I think setting up uh, that that and emphasizing and underlining that sense of direction that's probably one of the most important things I feel like in here uh, right now. Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is the podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders to help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. You're about to watch another episode of Start the Week with Wisdom, which for those of you who are at home, if you have not seen this before, these are weekly episodes where we conduct an interview with a sitting college president or chancellor, and we want to talk to them about how they're navigating the challenge of this moment. We're in a really unique time and we want to focus on their leadership and unpack how they are making decisions, how they are navigating, and hopefully it will leave you with a sense of optimism, a bit inspired and give you a bit of hope. I'm Jeff Salingo, joining you from Washington, D.C., where I'm an author, a journalist, and a special advisor at Arizona State University. Thanks, Bridget. And today, our guest is Angel Cabrera, who is the president of the Georgia Institute of Technology in the great city of Atlanta, where, as I said, I'm a, a visiting scholar. And in previous to that, uh, he started there at, at Georgia Tech last year. And previous to that was the president of George Mason uh, University right here in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Angel, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Welcome. So, um, Anil, we've been really focused uh, since we started this series with uh, presidents now, what, about two months ago, Bridget, uh, on on obviously the impact of COVID-19 and the uh, pandemic on colleges and, and universities. But I'd be remiss not to start where the news has been over the last uh, couple of days since the murder of George Floyd in uh, Minneapolis a week ago uh, today, and obviously the protests all over the world in, in many cases now uh, because of, of this and obviously in, in Atlanta. And I want to bring this uh, down to the university level because obviously we don't have students on campus now. Um, and I would imagine that if we did, uh, there would likely be some protests on our on our college and university campuses as well. But, but you know, selective colleges and universities have come under a lot of fire in the last uh, couple of decades, but particularly over the last couple of years because we always have thought about higher education, particularly in the U.S., is an engine of social mobility. Um, and we know from the research that Raj Chetty and others have done that, um, you know, at most of our selective colleges and, and universities, that largely they are um, havens for, for the wealthiest Americans um, in this country and that they're not necessarily that engine of mobility that we've always talked about. I know that at Georgia Tech, as you've been thinking about your, your vision for what you want the Institute to become, you've talked a lot about um, equity. Can you talk a little bit about how you see Georgia Tech and higher education in general becoming much more, and selective particularly, in your case, more of an engine of economic mobility in in this country? Yeah, uh, th- thank you for that uh, for that question. And 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 I actually I, I agree with the with the premise. We we as universities have an absolute uh, crucial mission to provide uh, opportunity 
to um, to be really the the one of the biggest instruments we have of, of social mobility and, and, and opportunity and and we have uh, both a lot to be proud of and a lot to point in terms of uh, of the, the, the uh, how uh, we have delivered on that mission but there's a lot to be critical about and we, we have uh, to admit that and to recognize that in and in this sort of very painful week and very painful weekend that we're experiencing in cities across America and, and Atlanta, of course, not not excluded. Um, I think I think we we have to to be very uh, very thoughtful. We have to all be thinking again, and and of course we all have the the the, the right to to protest and to and to demand change from from people with, with power, but. But we also think have a, a an opportunity really to think about what is it that each of us and each of our institutions, in our case, Georgia Tech, can do uh, to really uh, deliver on that promise of, uh, of 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 equal opportunity, of of inclusion, or of a much more uh, just uh, just world. Um, at Georgia Tech, for example, I mean we're dealing. Uh, this is the tension we're we're dealing with. On one hand, uh, as as the uh, as as the institute has established itself as as one of the, the leading public universities in, in, in America, something we're very, very proud of. And, and as we uh, really attract more and more and more uh, applicants and students from, from, around, uh, from around the world and, and across the United States, when you actually look at our numbers, it, it, we don't do as well as we should do in, in terms of, uh, for example, the number of African-Americans. We're, we're in the middle of the city with a majority black population. And our undergraduate uh, um, uh, African American uh, numbers barely reach seven percent. So there, there's a lot that we need to be better at, and, and I think I think we're right to to hold our universities uh, accountable accountable for that. And we're you know we're we're part of complex of complex systems, and and, and, and you know I, but I think that uh, it doesn't help for us to say well it's someone else's fault. I mean, whether it's uh, the the K to twelve system or other aspects of our society, I mean, we we really have a responsibility to be thinking about what is it that we can do and we must do uh, to deliver on that mission of uh, of equal opportunity. Great, that's super helpful. And I am curious because this is a not only is this a really difficult time in this country's history, uh, it, it being overlaid over the pandemic, it's just. Um, there's just a, there's a lot going on right now. And I'm, I'm curious because it seems like leadership matters, like I said, more than ever. And this is not your first time at the presidency. You have experience with this. So I'm wondering, kind of as a leader, how do you look at a challenging situation, whether it be COVID, whether it be what's going on with race and equity in this country, just in general as a president? Um, do you have a leadership framework or a way that you kind of think about the responsibility of leadership or how you lead, um, especially in a difficult time, particularly if there's anything from your past experience as a president at George Mason that might be helpful. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I have been, uh, I've run, before I arrived to, to Georgia Tech, I, I had been running academic institutions for 15 years as a, as a chief executive. And, and, um, and honestly, I mean that experience informs how I approach situations like 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 these. I, I have colleagues who just started their sort of their first uh, 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 top leadership position in academia, and 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 I spent time on the phone with them, and and I feel for them because it does take time to sort of uh, build up your own conception of, of of leadership and and sort of find yourself and. 
in, in, in a complex organizational setting like universities, uh, universities are. Um, I mean, I still have a lot to learn, especially because I'm, I'm brand new at Georgia Tech. I just arrived last, uh, last September, but definitely I'm, I'm, at least I'm fortunate that I bring some, some years behind. Um, and, and one of the most important things I probably have learned is that, is that uh, in a way the most important role that we have um, that we're running any kind of organization, big or small, private, academic or not, even though uh, sometimes or maybe initially we, we, we think that we're supposed to have the right answers and that that's why, why we have the job and that's why we get paid for, that, um, uh, that that's normally not the most important contribution that, that, we're, that we are asked to make. And uh, in fact, in situations with an enormous level of uncertainty like now, um, it, it is far more important to set up a sense of, of, of direction and, and a sense of grounding on the beliefs and values of, uh, of, of an institution, build a sense of confidence, uh, create a sense of, uh, of, of really empowerment, people making, making decisions and create a sense of shared uh, mission and, and, and purpose and a shared, a, a shared sense of uh, where we're going and what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Um, so, so in a way, we, we may be more uh, uh, sort of, you were preachers than, than, than uh, military commanders in, in, in a way, even though at times of urgency, we do have to make decisions and hopefully we'll make, uh, we'll make informed and, and, and wise decisions. But it's, it's getting grounded on those, on those values. I mean, for example, in the, the situation we're right now, which we're going through as a, as a nation through this very, very tiring and, and, and painful uh, process of digesting the uh, the killing of, of George Floyd and the many other injustices before before he has. And you said, well, what does that have to do with universities we were discussing earlier? We're, a lot. I mean, it highlights our mission, our values, our commitments to uh, to equity and access. And 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 I think setting up uh, that that and emphasizing and underlining that sense of direction is probably one of the most important things I feel like in here uh, right now. Um, so, Anhil, you we mentioned earlier you you arrived at, at Georgia Tech from George Mason uh, a, a little more than well, actually less than a year ago, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're in your first uh, first year. Uh, I know that you've been really focused on your vision and strategy um, for Georgia Tech. So, how does kind of the pandemic that we're living through, which is really kind of intensified a focus on higher ed, you know, our, our students coming back this fall and on remote on the whole idea of remote and online education, you know, so many things have been brought up in higher ed because of this pandemic. How does that influence or um, how does that influence your, your idea of a strategic plan? Does it change it, for example? And, and, and more, more so as you think about higher education nationally and internationally, there's all these um, projections now, and you know Scott Galloway from NYU is getting a lot of press right now for his his talk about what's going to happen to higher ed. Do you think that this is going to be a big change for higher ed going forward? So let's let's focus first on Georgia Tech. What is it going to do for your own strategic plan, and then more broadly, because you really are a student of higher education, what impact do you think it will have on the sector as a whole? So, so in, in that sequence, so we, we did uh, start uh, after Bud Peterson, my predecessor, he had a, a successful run, a 10-year run under one strategic plan. So with my arrival, it was a natural uh, point in time for us to engage in another cycle of uh, strategic thinking and planning. And uh, the first, we, we split it in two phases. One was let's agree on the, on the vision. Uh, let's even 
rewrite our mission statement, uh, a vision of the future we want to build, a set of values, a set of themes that we want to work on. And then the second phase is now let's translate that into an actionable plan with metrics, with objectives. We're in the middle of that second phase. The first phase we we um, we just concluded. Uh, we concluded right as the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic got started, and we use a very inclusive approach for that first phase. We use uh, a series of uh, appreciative inquiry uh, sessions. We 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 I, I challenged us to have hundreds of uh, of people participate in these uh, uh, in participate in this in these sessions, and instead of hundreds, we ended up having actually thousands of uh, of people participate in these sessions. And um, so we we crafted our our, our vision and, and mission and values and that that sort of sense of direction. And then COVID hit, and and what it did well immediately what it did is delay our it delayed our our second phase because we had to get organized and deal with the emergency of adapting to the to the situation. But what it also did is, is it offered a natural, painful but natural test of whether our vision was in the good, in, in go, was going in the right direction. I mean, it, it forced us to ask, okay, given uh, this uh, new global, incredibly complex challenge, does our vision make sense in, in a way? And and I think we passed that test well. Uh, our, our 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 mission. And our new vision is is, is one of uh, inclusive innovation and is one of impact, of innovation that brings all voices, all profiles to the table, and impact innovation that, that really contributes to improving the the human condition that makes a difference in the in the world we live in. And as COVID was hitting us, we we saw incredible examples of of our faculty and graduate students using their research to make a difference in the fight against the pandemic and, and showing what what real impact was about in, in real time, whether it was projecting and modeling the trends of the, of the, uh, of the pandemic, whether it was designing uh, respirators or, or personal protective devices or, or participating in the development of assessments and uh, testing and, and uh, vaccines and antiviral treatments and the like. I mean, we saw, we saw impact in, uh, in real time. So in a way, th- this has helped us even sharpen the focus and, and highlight some of the elements of that, of that vision. Um, again, so so there's been sort of a, in a way a, a good impact, even though I don't wish this upon anybody uh, to to have to have a dramatic situation like this to to have that kind of testing of of your planning process. Overall, I think that to to the second part of your question, I you know I, I mean I have no doubt this is a this is a defining moment for all of our all aspects of our society, not just higher education, but very specifically higher education. I mean, we've all, for example, we, we've run this massive national experiment on telework, uh, where you know, four or five months ago, a most people had never experienced telework, or they had sort of skeptical ideas about does it work, does it not? And right now, all of us, or, or many of us, have experienced it and, and now have a first, uh, a first-hand understanding of telework. And I'm sure that even as things improve in on the on the public health front that we may be thinking about the structure of work in, in, in different terms and learning the same thing. I mean, before the pandemic hit, uh, less than half of faculty members across the country had experience uh, really online, uh, a remote type of uh, teaching. Not all of our students really were comfortable or, or had that experience. Right now, everybody has. So even if we develop the antivirals and the vaccines and so we go back to a, a pre-COVID sort of situation, 
I'm pretty sure we're going to be thinking about teaching in a very different way. Everybody, students have the experience, the faculty have the experience. We've seen what technology can do to improve the learning process. So I have absolutely no doubt. That might mean also that the people who before COVID may not have considered a an online program. Let's say I want to get my master's. As you know, we, we have this incredibly successful master's of uh, uh, online master's in computer science, which has over, uh, about 10,000 students right now. You would still have people who would say, no, that's not for me. I don't believe in, 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 in remote learning or distance learning and online learning. That is going to change. So I think patterns of demand of different types of programs, uh, the application of learning technologies to, to the learning process, the structure of work. I mean, there is absolutely uh, uh, no doubt in my mind that uh, the, the COVID experience is going gonna, is gonna to change us in many ways as a, as a society and is going to change uh, as, as institutions of higher education. President Cabrera, we did get a question that came in from LinkedIn that seems to perfectly dovetail with it, what you're talking about, which is what strategies for course delivery in person, synchronous, asynchronous, hybrid, are you thinking about for fall term? Obviously, uh, I personally think this is asking for a lot of crystal ball work uh, for on for university presidents. But in general, do you have any um, any broad picture there, or is it just it's just as much? Yes. Kind of no. 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 I think I think it's a I think it's a great question, and once again, it illustrates the kinds of things that are now possible and viable that a few months ago we would say, gosh, that's impossible. Let, let's say, for example, I mean, you know, the, the discussion around flipping the classroom, I'm not a fan of the term, but I am a fan of the concept of, 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 of using lecture halls for activities that really create value through interaction, right? Solving problems, working in groups, entering into dialogue. And then using technology for things where technology is far superior, right? Uh, you know, watching a lecture that you can pause and rewind and things like many, many other things, right? That discussion now becomes very, very feasible. So in the fall, we're, we're modeling different scenarios and sort of uh, building up sort of archetypes of classes that our faculty can say, okay, that matches my needs and, and, and the needs of my my class and help faculty. So there's not going to be a one a one for all. This is the model we're going to use, but there will be different types. And it could well be that a faculty member, uh, for example, tapes her lectures and make them available before uh, the start of the of the week, and then uses class time, uh, maybe even with with, with smaller groups, uh, to maintain appropriate physical distance for learning strategies that make sense in the classroom. Right. So that's an innovation that may make sense this fall to deal with COVID, but that's an innovation that I suspect will survive after COVID because, because it's going to have a lot of power. So, so yeah, all, all of those, I think, I think hybrid learning is going to be, my, my prediction is going to be a norm, not just to Georgia Tech, but across higher education. And I think uh, those, those hybrid forms of learning are going, to be, are going to provide an incredible ground for further experimentation. So, Anil, we mentioned earlier, again, that you made this transition last year. I can't even imagine what it would have been like if you were making the transition this year, right? But, mm. but we have a number of presidents who are, are new, uh, you know, coming in, in in a couple of weeks at, at some campuses as of July 1st. We have another of, uh, number of other campuses where they have left, and now you have an interim president, in some cases an interim provost. What, um, what advice would you have? Uh, what, what advice might you give to those navigating either as a brand new president? So say, you know, this was fast forwarded, uh, you know, or when we went back a year and this was happening last summer for you or, 
or if you were an interim president, uh, just kind of trying to figure out what to do for for this fall and beyond. Any any advice you have for for those trying to deal with those issues? Well, I mean, first, I, I, I honestly, I feel for them because I, I don't think this is a this is a, a an ideal world, uh, way to to start. It is what it is. I mean, uh, but but it is it is it is hard. I, I mean, and starting in a leadership position is always difficult, and this makes it even harder. And I know several of them personally. My former provost to George Mason is starting right now at Baruch College. Uh, our former uh, vice president of innovation is starting as uh, chancellor at UC Denver. Uh, of course, my successor at George Mason, uh, uh, Greg Washington, who's uh, coming in from uh, Irvine and is going to start also in the next few in a few days. I mean, so I, I know many personal cases of uh, of folks who whose uh, beginnings uh, are coinciding with this with this situation, and and I have no doubt that they will uh, uh, really uh, deal with the with a with a challenge in a, in a good way. But it, but it is. It, it it is hard uh, because I mean one one of the advantages that that I had coming in September is that uh, Georgia Tech was doing very well. There were lots of things that needed to be improved and questioned and 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 and, and but but overall the the school was doing very very well. So I had the enormous luxury of of being able to create this very inclusive process to really extract the the collective uh, dreams and and aspirations of the community. Um, so my, I guess if I can venture any useful advice would be that even though you may not have as much of a luxury as I did, and even though you will have to jump in a situation where you're going to have emergency task forces and emergency decisions, and you're going to have to turn on a dime many in the next few weeks, that somehow you find the space to have that sort of deeper dive into into the heart of the institution, that that connectivity, that that broad uh, uh, set of activities to really understand the spirit, the heart, the values, the sense to define the sense of purpose of the of the um, of the university. That you don't just uh, park all of that because uh, emergency. That that part is going to be essential. Is going to be defining for your presidency. Is going to be the most important thing that you're going to be able to do for for your university. That's super helpful. I have one of my institutions, UT Austin, has both an interim president and provost. Uh, and that is going to, and in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of everything going on. So I do think that um, this uh, topic in particular, your expertise is very, very much appreciated. Um, we'll wrap with one last question, which I am curious, you know, as a leader, it's important to, to share a compelling and hopeful vision to keep folks kind of moving in a direction together. I'm curious about what right now, how are you looking at the situation with hope and optimism? What is inspiring to you in this moment that's keeping you kind of propelling towards that that compelling vision? Well, that, thank you for asking that. So, um, you know, presidents are people, believe it or not. And, and, and we also get hit by, by the, the, the uncertainty and, uh, and we have our ups and downs and, and, and there's been plenty of that uh, in the past uh, three, three months and, and even more recently this very week. And, and, and what really keeps me going and gives me a sense of optimism and, conf- and confidence about the future is, is to look at uh, really the, the endless examples of, um, of leadership, of ingenuity, of commitment by our students and by, and by our faculty. I mean, it, it, you know, in the, even in the early days of the pandemic, to see our faculty member go back to their labs, to the maker spaces with students, 
designing products, trying to figure out everybody asking themselves, how does my expertise matter in this moment? What is it that I can that I can offer? Uh, one of my colleagues, by the way, who was featured in the New York Times, is an expert in, in frugal technology and frugal innovation. Uh, he, the New York Times caught him at the hospital because his, uh, his, his wife was in labor and they were asking him, you know, how do you manage to be doing all this innovation while you're doing this, uh, uh, you're, you're having this situation at home? And says, you know, one, one day my son will grow up and will ask me, what were you doing when, when uh, COVID-19 hit? And he says, I wanted to be proud. And boy, I think that that kid is going to be very, very proud. And, and, and the rest of us, I mean, every time we have seen so many examples when we had to go online and remote, uh, the fact that everybody did what they had to do. The students uh, did what they had to do. The faculty did what they had to do. I mean, the, these situations, I, I know they created a lot of angst and, and pain and, um, and, and, and ambiguity and uncertainty, but they also bring out the best in people. And there's been so much of that to go around and, and, and so many constant reminders of why the mission of our institutions of higher education matters so much that I think we, we've had plenty of ammunition to to keep us all going and, and going strong. I completely agree. I feel like right now uh, the resilience of our students is on full display, the kindness and empathy of our faculty, staff and administrators, and just their selflessness of helping each other navigate. And then I also, you know, from these interviews, my observation is that I've worked with university presidents for the past 20 years. I don't think they've ever been better. I think they're more focused and passionate and clear right now because um, of the challenge in front of them. I'm, I'm seeing um, a level of clarity and vision communicated that I, I think people um, really appreciate. So um, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And for you at home, thank you for the fantastic comments that we saw that were in um, either LinkedIn, Facebook, or uh, YouTube or Periscope. So um, very excited to wrap up today, but uh, thank you again, uh, President Cabrera, and I want to share for folks at home. Next week, we'll be broadcasting on the University Innovation Alliance channel on LinkedIn, and I will have a different co-host uh, so that Jeff can take a break. I will have Paul Fain from Inside Higher Ed as my co-host, but we look forward to sharing with you an exciting new president on Wednesday that we will be announcing. So thank you again, President Cabrera and Jeff. Hope you enjoy your nice week off. Thank, thank you, you, Bridget, and thank you, Jeff. Much thank appreciated. You. Keep up the good work. Thank, thank you. you.